it going, everyone? Joe Gagne here, welcoming you to edition number 87 of Joe vs. the World, and the final show in our 10-year celebration. If you were here yesterday, you'll know the drill. I ask a bunch of people what their favorite match of all time is, and we jibber-jabber about it. A couple notes before I get right into it I didn't get to yesterday. As you might guess with this many interviews, I've been working on the show for quite a while, I think starting back in January, right up to a few days ago. So if someone mentions something that seems a little outdated, that would be why. And you may also wonder where certain guests are and who was included, who wasn't. I tried to get as many people as I could as possible, but for some people, schedules wouldn't line up. I ultimately just ran out of time. But, hey, it's always the 15th anniversary. Anyway, enough from me. Let's talk to the first guest. And we are back. And if you want a guest, you should get an award-winning one. So I did just that. Joining me now is uh, Mr. Dylan Hale, GD Award winner for Best Guest. Dylan, how you doing? Doing very, very well. There were no sheeties when this podcast debuted, as I'm sure you're well aware, Joe. But, no, but <laughs> had there been, I would have voted for this one. Oh, I appreciate that. All right. I'm going to ask a question here. Dylan, what's your favorite match of all time? And I thought I had the answer, because you had mentioned one on Exile on... Uh, on Bad Street, but uh, you turned back. You thought of another one. So what do you got? Well, it's a three-way race, and I disqualified one because it was too easy with the low-hanging fruit. That would be Terry Funk versus Rick Flair from Great American Bash 89. And it was really a two-way race between two matches. Uh, I, I was involved a couple years ago in projects where I watched every Smoky Mountain wrestling match in history and every ECW match in history. And... Uh, I kind of had two matches that blew me away as, like, all-time favorites that came out of those two projects, one of which is the match you thought it was, which was the Cowabunga versus Jim Cornette match, <laughs> which is absolutely amazing, and everybody should watch it. Um, Mark Curtis dresses a Ninja Turtle doing Jerry Lawler Hope Spots based around uh, his dropping the shell instead of the strap. It's completely amazing, and everyone should see it. But my all-time favorite match, if, if you force me to pick just one, is... The FBI of J.T. Smith and Little Guido versus the Dudleys of Bubba and Spike from October 11th, which just happens to be my daughter's birthday, although not this year, 1996. Uh, I couldn't quite find the date. And this is ECW, because uh, Devon Dudley makes an appearance, so I assumed this was from. Because the link you sent, I, you sent me the link, and I just kind of stared at it for a while. I'm like, <laughs> did you send me the right link? <laughs> I, I guess I'll just I don't want to you know be like why'd you send me this I'll watch and um and uh, yeah I had that uh, I'm, I'm just curious for context were you an EC I mean were you an ECW fan at the time do you, like when did you see this match okay first? I, the first time I saw this was actually oh god goodness uh, I might even be able to say the exact day here uh, it would have been a little over five years ago actually yeah I, I, I actually wrote up a, a post on a forum, ProWrestlingOnly.com. Of course, it's in a hidden section that not everybody can see. But uh, So it would have been December 6, 2010, because I wrote I wrote this up as soon as I saw it. I actually have it pulled up on my computer right now. Now, at the time, I was going through and watching all the fan camps. This is a fan cam. We should note, this is not a pro-shot yes. match. So <laughs> No, by the auto-scroll that comes <laughs> up like halfway through the match. <laughs> Give me a clue. So... <laughs> So uh, I, I uh, 
I had watched this as part of a, again, as part of a project uh, where I was watching all the ECW stuff. And I've always been a huge fan of the FBI. And at the time, when I, I was an ECW fan at the time, if you go back to the 90s, in fact, I took several trips to the Northeast with my father and other people, actually, to go see uh, ECW live. Uh, so, the and probably one of the first ever ECW live TV shows, I started collecting the tapes in late 94, or actually early, 90, mid-94. But one of the first uh, live experience, or, uh, you know, TV experiences I had live was on the old Sports South Network late at night, I think it was the second or third week we ever got the TV here, was actually the angle where Devon Dudley debuted. And Devon Dudley debuted by on TV by completely destroying J.T. Smith and Little Guido, <laughs> viciously destroying them with chair shots, like flinging them all over the place. So I've always sort of associated this version of the Dudleys, where this is still stuttering Bubba and Little Spike, with that version of the FBI. Uh, which, of course, uh, you know, the FBI might be my all-time favorite act in the history of pro wrestling. Uh, if you like, it's, it's up there. Um, so I've always sort of been enamored with this particular era of the ECW undercard. Uh, and uh, when I went through and watched this, this match completely blew me away when I first watched it with how fun it was. It was so distinct from everything else I was watching at the time as I was going through those fan cams, and it really sort of connected to that time period uh, when I was first watching ECW uh, regularly on TV in, in real time in the mid-'90s. So it kind of had the emotional connection from that as well. Plus, there's a lot of tropes in this match that I absolutely love, which I guess we're going to get to here in a second. All right, so like you said, it's it's there's just so much caca in this match. There's a lot of... Fooling around, but in such a completely entertaining way. Like, like uh, the file itself, and this is on Daily Motion, at least as we discuss this, it's 25 minutes long, and you might look at that and, and think, like, oh, some big epic tag match, but it's like, you get J.T. Smith singing beforehand, you get, like, Bubba stuttering, and a whole lot of just, like, a whole lot of shenanigans, Bubba falls out of the ring at one point. There's, there's a lot going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's completely, like, to me, this is... Like, when people say um, that ECW is revolutionary, they're not wrong. But this is also a match where, like, the full Memphis influence on ECW is readily evident, I think. And it's really spelled out both in the baby faces and the heels. Because the FBI is a total Memphis gimmick here. That You know, the, the black guy, J.T. Smith, who thinks he's Italian, with an actual Italian whose ring name is Little Guido. <laughs> you know, going up against... A big stuttering guy who's a victim of bullying, despite the fact that he's like full time, four times larger than everybody else, and he would later go on to be so much of a literal bully in the wrestling business that he would become known as Bully Ray, <laughs> <laughs> teaming mm. teaming with Spike Dudley. And what I really love about the beginning of this and the way it's, the stage is sort of set is the the build in the match is not to see like Bubba do something crazy because this was the era when he would do a lot of kind of interesting spots for a guy his size and we did get some of those especially in the post match the build for the the way they set up this match was it was like a competing uh, versions of little man syndrome you had the hyped up stereotypical Italian little man syndrome of little Guido versus the drug fueled <laughs> <laughs> little man syndrome of Spike Dudley, like the way too much acid, like for this little guy who can't sustain that level of narcotic in his system. And it is 
so amusing the stuff they do around that. Like literally, like the first five minutes of this feels like it's uh, JT and uh, Bubba Ray holding back their respective little guys, as if those are the big guys in the match. And then, yeah. and then whenever they have their first interaction, they kind of do like the equivalent of an Ishii versus Shibata exchange. Not anywhere near that violent, of course, where they're like doing shoulder tackles and face slaps. Uh, you know, it, it's absolutely ridiculous, but completely awesome because they built to it so well. I mark out for it now just as much as the first time I saw it because it's so well done. Yeah, it was just they had that like cool, like really cool little mini story built in, and they kind of they kind of like dragged it out. Like JT and Bubble were in the ring for a long time, and then finally it comes out, and then like you know they're just I mean. Do you care about the ending at all? Like, Devon runs in and he hits Bubba in the head with a chair and gets the pin. Or is that just kind of beyond the point? And then Big Dick Dudley runs out. The, the the ending is like, I you know, it's kind of a flat ending because they do some exciting stuff. Like, there's this one really cool spot in the match where because Spike, of course, ends up in peril. And the, the, the FBI heals, which one of the genius things about the FBI, even more so later on in the Tommy Rich era, but one of the genius things about the FBI was they were one of the few acts in ECW that got real heel heat, whereas almost all the others didn't really get real heel heat, or they got like a variant of it. The FBI were like kind of hated, and really what the FBI were a, were doing was like a legitimate troll of the fan base, which was let's be honest, heavily Italian in a lot of these cities. Mm-hmm. So um, it was. Kind of a genius gimmick in that regard, but they, they, so they're beating down Spike. They've got him, you know, at the at disadvantage, and then they do one of the coolest hope spots for a hot tag I've ever seen, where Spike runs the ropes. He's got the two. He's got JT and Little Guido on the ring, and Bubba Ray standing on the apron picks him up in a military press and throws him down, and then gets the hot tag off of that. I absolutely love that spot. I think it's like the, one of the coolest spots you'll ever see in a tag team match. It's totally unexpected. You get the big, the, the big dive off of uh, Bubba's shoulders when he's sitting in the corner yes. by Spike, which looks awesome because the camera angle. It does. I mean, am I crazy, Joe? The camera angle looks like he's diving down an elevator shaft. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it's just someone on the floor pointing their camera up, and they, they hit the spot. I've never seen the spot done well. It's a, I'm sure it's very difficult to do. Like He just like jumps, and he just keeps falling and just lands on him. Yeah, it's a gr- it's really great, and it's a near fall that was really well done because you think that's probably going to be the finish, but it's not. And, yeah, you get the stuff with Devon, but the thing about Devon is, like, to me, this era of Devon I actually kind of like, and all the silliness that broke down after the match I think is sort of representative of the silliness that that kind of made ECW entertaining even when it wasn't good because you've got the Dudleys, the, the multicultural Dudleys of various shapes, sizes, and ethnicities fighting among themselves, You've got little Guido trying to be clever and do a spot off of a bar that's there and almost cracking his head on the roof, <laughs> falling off. All he can do is a stomp. By the way, I, I didn't mention the fact, I didn't mention, uh, you mentioned Bubba falling out of the ring, which was hilarious. Uh, it's kind of like when Brock fell out of the ring versus Cena at Extreme Rules. <laughs> <laughs> like his momentum just brings him over. But there's also the awesome spot where, uh, where they, Bubba gets the hot tag and he throws Guido over the top and Guido just takes this absurd bump. He doesn't even try to break his fall. He basically plunches the floor full tilt. Um, it's just tons of fun stuff like that in this. And, you know, the post-match also has the big no-hands Bubba over the top rope tope, which is like a really cool visual spot. 
Um, it, it, it's just a super fun match between two super underrated teams that were really over in their own way. It's very representative. It's like, to me, it's like a time capsule match of a time and place that where I was a huge wrestling fan, something I completely stumbled upon by accident as part of a project that I, that I, I never would have. This is like a dream match of mine from that era because of that TV angle that they'd done. Uh, that I mentioned before, I think back maybe in like March of, of, of 96, if I'm not mistaken, with, with Devon's debut, I'd always like, God, I wish we had a, a Bubba and Spike match versus the FBI. And to stumble upon it and then it live up to my expectations by being such a cool combination of the, you know, as you, you said, the, the Memphis Gaga stuff and then kind of a, a really well worked tag match. It, it was awesome. I mean, it's not a five star match. Actually, it wouldn't rate as one of the greatest matches anybody ever saw, but it, it, you, it, I think I feel like pretty much anybody would see this and think it was pretty damn fun. I, I think that would be a consensus takeaway from this match, no matter what your p- position is on any of these acts. Now, three of these four eventually made it to the uh, WWE. JT Smith, always just kind of a, a lost guy, just, maybe just came around at the wrong time. I have a feeling if he came around today, he'd be a big hit on some indie, but he just kind of I don't know, just never made his way, and that's really too bad. Yeah, he peaked too early. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of, like he was the, in some ways, he was the first ECW homegrown star. Like, if you go back and watch the 93, 94 stuff, he was the first guy that, um, you know, wasn't a guy who would have been established somewhere else. And then, of course, he became literally known as the you fucked up guy. <laughs> but they cultivated that, and they turned it into a compelling character. And, to me, he's one of those lost guys from that early 90s, uh, you know, mid-Atlantic slash northeast independent wrestling scene who doesn't get near the credit that he deserves. Uh, I, I think he was a super entertaining act. Um, you know, I, I like all versions of the FBI. One of, my, one of the great sad things in wrestling to me is that we never got a full all-total FBI, with Tommy Rich, with J.T. Smith, with all the parties together, although we did get an angle in the ECW arena where J.T. Smith made the save on the FBI uh, and did a return bit, where and uh, they sang Fly Me in the Moon, Fly Me to the Moon in the crowd with him, which was pretty awesome. But I, I, I'm a huge J.T. Smith fan, actually. That's a, this, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, Joe Lanz is a big J.T. Smith fan, so that maybe this is the olive branch where, where we can settle our differences. <laughs> because J, J.T. is, like, seriously one of my – like, I, I've made this joke before, but it's not really a joke, but people think it is. You know, I Jumbo Saruta is a much better wrestler uh, than J.T. Smith. A lot of – Rick Flair is a much better wrestler than J.T. Smith. Obviously, like, it's not even close. But – I would rather watch J.T. Smith than ever see a Ric Flair or Jumbo Saruta match ever again as long as I live. <laughs> like, like I, he's just, to me, he's a super entertaining dude. So that's another reason to pick this match, so people can watch a good J.T. Smith match. All right. And did is there anything else in your deep dive into fan cam territory? Did anything else come close to uh, a match like this? Oh, there's a bunch of really good stuff in the fan cam. Stuff. I mean, there's so, like... This is probably the coolest find for me personally because of how, like, my interest in the East Undercard and me being such a big FBI fan. But, like, there's, like, a, um, there's a Tracy Smothers and Little Guido version of the FBI versus Eliminators match that is completely wow. awesome. <laughs> it is absolutely awesome. Like, probably one of my ten favorite matches of ECW ever that's a, that's on a fan cam. Um Gosh, there's there's so much stuff. There's a bunch of I actually think Tajiri and Guido had better matches 
that nobody saw, maybe, <laughs> Tajiro, and, Tajiri and Crazy had, which were, you know, uh, a fan cam matches. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on those fan cams. Scorpio had a lot of good stuff on the fan cam shows. There's a Mikey Whipwreck versus uh, Stevie Richards match from, I want to say, early 96 that is like, uh, and a Mikey Whipwreck versus Candido match that is like, um, that actually is is up there with this one. That's like a blow away. Holy crap! I can't believe how good this is. Match. That's the kind of match where if the exact same match took place at like Beyond or PWG or one of the well known indies today, that sort of works a, a, a kind of fast go go type style, people would be completely raving about it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff on those fan camps. All right, and uh, I want to thank you for uh, not only appearing here but appearing in the past. I know you are. First on, we discussed the, we broke down the NXT roster, which I thought would be a yearly thing, but so many people didn't move up, it would have gotten repetitive at some point. Plus the um, total concept of de- developmental change. So plus I was wrong Maybe. about Enzo. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. What did you say? I don't even remember. I, so I was like, I think they need to cut bait on Enzo. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I both remember that. Yeah, I remember Tom Green's like, no, no, this guy's so charismatic, and I'm like, ah, oh, we'll see, but. Yeah, there you go. We'll still wait for that call-up, but uh, he's, no, I hope he gets it. And um, well, thank you again. Uh, I don't know. This won't air for a bit after we're recording, but you certainly can find Dylan. He's probably he, he'll be on a podcast when this comes out. Probably a whole bunch of them. Yeah, who knows? Of course, you can find me on, on Twitter at Dylan Waco. That's D Y L A N W A C O. I'm 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 every day I come closer to starting my. Uh, politicalhit.com, deep politics and pro wrestling, Roman Reigns political hit theory blog, conspiracy theory blog. Maybe I can get it linked to by Prison Planet if I try really hard. But uh, I, 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 that could be up by the time this is up. But, Joe, I do want to say, uh, and, you know, I don't, I, I, there's always, uh, when you're part of an anniversary podcast, I think it's it's worth taking a moment to just say that, I was a fan of this podcast before I was ever invited on it. It was one of the first podcasts that I ever really listened to, unless you count stuff like Yada with, with Meltzer back in the day. And, uh, you know, some of my all-time favorite podcasts are Joe vs. the World, and I can say with 100% sincerity, no BS, no buttering you up, whatever, any of that garbage, that the entire genre of wrestling podcast that, that we know it today would not ever have occurred without the Joe vs. the World podcast. It is, in my opinion, the single most influential podcast that there has been for wrestling fandom. It's not even close. So I am absolutely honored to do this show and honored that you care enough about my opinion to let me come on and talk about a J.T. Smith match in 2016. <laughs> well, thank you. You certainly earned yourself a return invite with that show. So, uh... All right. Thank you very much, Dylan. Thanks, Joe. I'm joined now by a man who I could once claim to be his archenemy, but now that he hosts Wrestling Observer Live, I don't think I cracked the top ten. It's Mike Sempervivi. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great. Isn't it great to be old men doing podcasts and and talking about things on the radio? Old man power right here. Absolutely. (laughs) Can't believe it's been ten years. Ten years, yeah. You, uh, you've been uh, doing audio of your own much further than that. You might be approaching 15 and going back to the uh, 
the Kuro Power Hour and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. But, see, the way I look at it is you've been there that whole time. It's kind of like Alan doing shows and stuff like that. No matter how long we've been doing this, and it's been 10 years for Adam and I on uh, Figure 4 now from jumping over from the PPH. But when you include all that stuff, uh, when you include Keith being in there, uh, the lineage of that going back and, and you guys listening to it for, for all that time, way back in the the olden days where Dave Ditch was listening and Dynamic A, Adam Randis, and all of these people, and uh, uh, pretty cool. It is pretty cool. All right, Mike, let me ask you a question. Yes, sir. What's, what's your favorite wrestling match of all time? Uh, I, I think, I think it's Flair Steamboat from New Orleans at Clash 6. I think. So tough. Because for me, it would be... Anything Flair Steamboat, and there's just been so many matches, but there's some that stick out in my life. I will never forget coming home, or, or was no coming home. No, I was just home that day uh, in the morning when the UWF came on, and they had the uh, barbed wire match with the the Fantastics and Terry Taylor against the Sheepherders and Jack Victory, and that burned such an indelible mark in my mind. I'd been watching wrestling for five years before that, but that was just like I don't know why that seared in so much, but I think for for what I consider professional wrestling and the way that the business kind of slowly changed after that and then evolved into the Attitude Era and then what we have now, you know, Flair Steamboat, that era of matches, the old heads say it may not be as good as what they did in 1977 around the, the loop in Mid-Atlantic, but they were the last to me of the great classic wrestling matches. You know, I don't know if Flair ever had one to that level after that. I don't think Steamboat did either, and they both had great ones after that, but that, that it's hard to go back and watch those and pick holes in them, and I did go back and watch them, and I, it's so tough for me, and, and all four of those matches, if you include the one at the Capitol Center that took place in March that's on YouTube that Dave Meltzer had, had raved about, I still think it's the one in New Orleans that is, it's two out of three falls, you have no idea what's going to happen. You 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 start having notions in your mind of where it's going to go. Will it end uh, with a draw, which you know was a classic thing for them to do? Then would would Steamboat retain the title? Now, now he won it. That's a big deal. Now Flair's going to win it back. Nobody really knew what was going to happen, and maybe it's just I'm being naive because I'm still looking at it from like a, a kid fan's eyes. But it was just a really it was really an awesome match that even today, if you go back and watch, they don't they don't double up on too much. There's nothing too corny about any of it. The everything is placed perfectly. And again, you know, somebody with a critical eye could definitely pick some things out. Maybe they didn't like how Tommy Young, you know, looked when when Flair was choking Steamboat against the ropes or whatever it would be. But that would really just be the the picking of the nets and and not giving it its due of the sixteen star classic that it is. So did you watch this? Uh, this is on a clash of the champions, and uh, so it aired live. Did you watch this uh, as it occurred, or, or were you checking out WrestleMania five at that point? Well, that was I. We had we'd moved the place we were living at the time didn't have cable, but we would go uh, over to my grandmother's townhouse. Uh, that was like, I don't know, maybe like 20 minutes away, and she had a cable. We just weren't wired for it where we were um, at the time, so we, we'd have to go to places to, to check things out. And my brother was watching, you know, it was a three-level place, and my grandmother and mother were just talking in the living 
dressing room in the middle. My brother was upstairs with a couple of his friends watching WrestleMania, and I was the only one downstairs in the basement watching the Clash of the Champions. And I'd go run up to, to check it out, but I loved WCW, and I loved the NWA. I grew up in that mid-Atlantic area, and I just grew up loving the NWA, so I was all about that show. And, I mean, again, it's hard to try to explain this, but being a fan then, so I think Adam and I did so great on the show was because we both loved like the Samoan SWAT team and we both loved the Midnight Express. Well, they wrestled. The Great Muda was such a it was such a breath of fresh air, and I was always a Gary Hart fan. So him uh, wiping out Steve Casey like that was awesome. I didn't realize at the time being a fan and not being super smart to anything. We had radio shows, but I wasn't a observer, subscriber, or anything like that. So I didn't realize how much people thought the Junkyard Dog and Butch Reed sucked. I just still remember liking those guys, especially Butch Reed. So there was a lot on that show that even though it wasn't, you know, it's not great and it probably doesn't hold up in hindsight that I loved. I was a UWF fan, so I loved Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner with the Varsity Club. And and, and then you had Steamboat and Flair. And, again, at that time, I didn't know, like, when Sting and – I thought they were just doing the, the gimmick of they were they were out of time. And I was smart enough to know that they were holding off like the Sting and in, in, in Lex Luger matches. But I didn't know till years later it was because they couldn't time the show out and they were idiots about it, not because <laughs> they had planned it that way and Jim Ross was just going on to say that. So I, I again I, out of the Shy Town Rumble and Russell War both were awesome and both were, you know, great matches. The one in Landover was too, but I think this was the epitome of Flair Steamboat, and again, one of the last last great ones on the show that, again, people can, I guess, knock WBC or knock the NWA at that time for plenty of different reasons. I know they were hemorrhaging money, but, man, that lead-in to, to the Great American Bash that I went to, again, I'm romanticizing this because I was a kid and it was such a, it was such an impactful thing on me at that time, but um, still, I, I think that's probably, that's why that has got to be my favorite match. Now the match goes just shy of an hour. I'm, I mean, if you were just watching WWF, you never saw anything close to going that oh, long. Oh, no. <laughs> were you, um... I was trained for that. Okay. But because, I, I, you know, I initially when we moved from Chicago to Washington in 1980, it was early 82, I think. So got there and, like, Channel 5 had on WWF. Channel 5 and Channel 20, I think it was at the time, had the WWF on. And I think Channel 11 out of Baltimore, too. We were able to get that. But then uh, one of my first days at the new school, you know, of course, you, you, somehow wrestling fans always seem to find themselves mm-hmm. or find each other. And this kid talked about Ricky Steamboat on uh, Mid-Atlantic and talked about, you know, Mid-Atlantic wrestling. So it turned to the other channel that ended up having that on. And it was like a revelation. And, and throughout my growing up, Ric Flair and Ricky, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, as a tag team, I mean, they were my favorite wrestlers. But over time, you know, I just I gravitated more towards that. Then I found like Mid South and some of that other stuff. And I played football. I wrestled. I boxed a little bit. My dad played football and wrestled in, in college and in high school. So he was always a fan of real sport, and he liked wrestling. My mother hated wrestling. So you know, my father you know loved it as an outlet for me. You know, he thought it was great. He liked it. It was you know, my, drove my mom nuts, which I think you know that that kind of of course you know was a male bonding thing that made us like it even <laughs> you know a little bit more when she would just you know she didn't like the Three Stooges either any of that sort of like slapstick stuff because she thought I'd kill my brother. 
not realizing that that's what kids do anyway. They're just, you know, especially when you hit your brother with one of those old LJN, you know, 1985 WWF uh, action figures that you can actually kill somebody with. Yeah, you but, could legit hand out concussions. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, but we'd also, you know, we'd go and we'd watch stuff, and it was always he'd point out things just because he wanted me to like wrestling, but it was like, okay, now you're going to play football or something like that growing up, but if, if you fail at football, sure, you could do this, but, you know, it was still, this isn't real. Football's real. You know, amateur wrestling is real. This is a show, but this is why it's fun, and this is why, you know, you should get into it. And I, because of that, I gravitated more towards, like, the UWFs in the Mid-South and in the Mid-Atlantic. So we had already had Flair Wyndham on TV on Worldwide. I think it was. It wasn't pro. It was Worldwide for an hour. And, you know, going to matches at the Baltimore Arena, they would have hour-long matches. So I was, you know, WWF was just, you know, that was one style. But then going to see, you know, the NWA and those shows, to me, I mean, just that's what you – I was mentally prepared for those things, and I really enjoyed it. I always – it trips me out when I listen to, like, Brian, like, retro review something, and it was new to him because he didn't see it. All he, he had was the WWF. So for him to look at this stuff, and it's just like – you know, it's like his love of, like, David Crockett, you know, that's <laughs> taking place right now. It's funny and it's amusing because you're listening to it now. Week after week, if you heard Landrum and you heard Cottle and you heard Shivani every week compared to Crockett – it wasn't so cool then. It's like Gorilla Monsoon being kind of more renowned now, but it's like if you had to hear him then, it wasn't. It just was a different ball game. So, do you um, go back and revisit this match a lot? Is it just something? Because it's been it was re-released on Flair's um, first DVD set, certainly on the network. Do you? I mean, it's an investment of time. But do you have you gone back and revisited it often? I've talked to some people, and they'll they'll. You know, rewatch their favorite matches all the time. I'm just curious if that's the case I, here. I think I, it, I think that would be my Rogers O'Connor. You know, that's my Briscoe uh, Dory Jr. I think I, I know when the Flair DVD came out. I definitely watched it then. When the network started and they had it up there, I think that was the first thing that I watched from uh, the first old pay per view or uh, old Clash that I watched uh, when they put that up there. I'm almost positive it was. In fact, all the matches, you know, I watched them all in order, the the three that they had up there in order. And then I just watched it again. So I think that, and, you know, if you said, okay, held a gun to my head and said, show me a wrestling match, that's probably going to be the one I show you. So, uh, you know, for, you know, I'd be, I'm going to be interested to hear, you know, on this show what, what people say what their favorite matches are because I think, yeah, for me, I think that's the one and, I don't go back to it often, but I've gone back to it more than I think any of the other ones. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for picking a classic match because some people have me watching some weird stuff out there. <laughs> so be it. Whatever your uh, whatever your favorite is. I don't want to give anything away because of a sequel. Uh, I'm not sure how these will be sequenced. I yet, cannot uh, wait for whoever's calling out the the Yoshihiko and Ken the Box matches. Oh boy. <laughs> or even the Go match where he fights the aliens. <laughs> I'm tempted. I, I, you know what? I could have picked, uh, what was it, Ray High Mountain, and uh, what was Minoru Suzuki? Oh, with the, oh uh, what was he? I love that. God, that seems so long ago. <laughs> the Nosawa produced show, yeah. Ray Ray High Mountain and Dos Mil Siete, or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Akiyama and Minoru Suzuki as luchadors. <laughs> Probably doing better crowds than uh, Minoru Suzuki That's, is doing now, but... <laughs> 
I digress. Mike, if people wish to hear you <laughs> talk about wrestling, is this is it possible for this to occur? I don't do a whole lot of it. Oh. Don't, uh... <laughs> a, very, a very rare get on my part. I'm very proud. So, <laughs> Monday through Friday, from 3 p.m. Eastern Time till 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live. Every single day, Monday through Friday, <laughs> Wrestling Observer Live on the Sports Byline USA radio network. A million ways to listen to that. You just go up to the F4WOnline.com website. Uh, then the show on Sunday, which is from 6 p.m. till 8 p.m. Eastern Time, also live, uh, is on Sirius Satellite Radio most of the time as well on the uh, Sirius XM Rust Channel 93 uh, F4WOnline.com is also where you would go, or WrestlingObserver.com is also where you would go to listen to the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare, uh, for which we thought we were going to get back on a regular schedule. We sort of have. You uh, have been, you have been resurgent in, uh, in 2016. Yes, Adam is terribly ill for the, the last couple of weeks, uh, as we record this show. So that has been thrown off a little bit, but it's given me the chance to watch a lot more Japanese uh, wrestling and including some smaller promotions, which I had not had the chance to do in quite some time. So, uh, that's our muse on that show, Japanese wrestling, and we end up falling into lots of other things, including hockey as well. So, uh, do that and then, uh, it will randomly appear on people's podcasts, uh, from, from coast to coast all around the world, including my favorite, this most favoriteest one in the whole wide world, Joe Gagne's. Oh, thanks. I thought you were going to say, uh, between the sheets, which you appeared on. Late last year, which was an excellent, excellent show as well. I definitely recommend checking that out, too. If you just can't get enough Mike, and really, who can? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except for most of the people that post in the F4W forum. Well, you know, we don't. We won't. Anyway. We'll <laughs> most of the voices of wrestling staff, I believe, as well. Oh, no. You beloved everywhere you go. Possibly Todd Martin. Let's just stay in your house. I don't, uh, don't know. Sean Radigan hates me, but that's that's well-deserved because... He's a son of a bitch. Okay. Well, on that note, Mike, I just want to thank you again. Absolutely. Hey, thank you, Joe. And seriously, thank you for, hey, we, we, there were times where I think, we wonder, Keith and Zach and I, is anybody listening to this? You know, what, uh, what are we doing here for three hours? But you were listening, and thank you. And thanks for continuing to do a show that, Seriously, I really always liked as well, too, and I've always been uh, jealous of you, and I wish you could be over on F4WOnline.com as well, too, but uh, I know you're happy where you're at, so congratulations and thank you. Thank you, Mike. And we are back, and I am joined by a guest who tweets about Lucha, posts a podcast about Lucha, and travels to Mexico to see Lucha, so I hope he picks a Lucha match. It's Rob Viper. Rob, how you doing? I'm good. How about you? Not too bad. You and I have met in person. We were one of the rare guests where this has been the case back uh WrestleMania 29 at the uh, the WrestleCon convention. I remember you had a Titan shirt. I was very impressed by. Right. We only met for like 20 seconds, less than 20 seconds maybe, right? You came, you came up to brief. that table, I think. Yes, it was very brief, unfortunately. Yes. But, uh, but how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I know you're not coming this year, so we won't get to meet again, unfortunately. No, someday. Someday, I hope so. Good, I hope so. I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll be in Mexico anytime soon. So. No, oh come on! <laughs> you got to come down. I mean, if Cubs can go, certainly you can go. You would think, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. So, Rob, what's your favorite match of all time? My favorite match of all time is my favorite wrestler of all time, Rey Mysterio Jr. against Psychosis or Psychosis, as he was known in WCW, from Triple A on September twenty second, nineteen ninety five. 
Okay, so a little context here. Were you um, a fan of Lucha at the time? How did you come across this match? I was a 13-year-old 13, 13, yeah, boy whose dad left the soccer game on on the, one of the Spanish channels in the summer of 95, and I found this glorious thing called Lucha Libre. So this match would have been about two or three months after I first got into Mexican wrestling, and it was my first, no, second time seeing both Ray and Psychosis. I had only read about them in, like, PWI magazines at the time. So you had some kind of um, some um, kind of background on who they were. Were you a wrestling fan in general, or was this just kind of um, like, hey, what's this? Oh, it's, it's Lucha Libre. I was a very sheltered WWF fan. My whole life revolved around, at that time, I guess my hero would have been Shawn Michaels. So this was, I mean... <laughs> I mean, take, a, take away Shawn Michaels' 1995 WWF. It's just like, I mean, I imagine seeing this match was just, I can't even imagine what a culture shock it must have been. Oh, this, this, was a, this was, I mean, I was blown away by guys like Rio de Alisco and Miguel Perez and EMLL, <laughs> and they didn't do yeah. anything. So when I see these guys having a match, just this is basically the match that cemented that I was going to be a lifelong Lucha Libre fan. The stuff they were doing... Compared to, you know, watching Mantar and Man Mountain Rock and WWF, it was just incredible. So this is a two out of three falls match for the, um, was it the WWA welterweight title? Yep. Which, uh, I believe it's a Tijuana title. Um, I guess like, uh, gosh, I don't know, I don't even know where to start, cause, uh, I, I, is this like a famous, uh, Lucha match or just kind of one of many they had? Cause I, I hadn't heard about this one until you, um, I knew they had had, you know, lots of matches. I didn't know if this one was their most famous. Or um, anything along those lines, or if it was like one which your fans would know as a standout? This is actually, you know, Ray and Sikosi, Ray and they basically followed each other around the world. Their feud is legendary. But most people don't even realize this is the only match they ever had, a singles match, on, that made AAA television in all their years together. This happened one week, less than a week, after their debut at uh, Gangsta's Paradise in ECW. So, you know, they were coming off that high, and they decided they wanted to, I guess they decided this, I mean, this was basically, it was held in Gimnasio Juan de la Barrera, which is at the time was basically AAA's version of Arena Mexico. It was the regular arena that they were running inside Mexico City. So these guys got the semi-main event slot, and they decided just to steal the show. It won the match of the year that year in the Mexican the publications down there, and it was generally praised as, one of the best matches in AAA history at the time. And I, I believe Meltzer gave it five stars in the Observer at the time. I'm not sure. It didn't get much traction at the time just because they were just breaking in in the U.S. And people who were getting into them were, turn, I mean, less than a month later, they had the two out of three falls match in ECW. They were off to Japan. And this match kind of flew under the radar. But I think this topped all their matches in ECW in Japan. Yeah, I mean, they had the ECW one, the one at the, uh, the J-Cup, of course, WCW, mm-hmm. and... That's crazy to me. They only had uh, one that made AAA television. Yeah, and actually, it was only a week after this that they they went to, like, uh, Ray wins the title in this match, spoiler alert. And then a week later, they went to Tijuana, which is where Sikosis was born, and they had a rematch where he won the title back, which was said to be just as incredible as this match, but that was just a house show. And unfortunately, I know a lot of new fans will not understand when I say this, but it was not filmed. <laughs> I know that's there's like I'm sure there's a lot of, like the famous um in like the famous like Star David Deathmatch Lucha thing that wasn't uh 
wasn't taped. It's, it's hard to comprehend something that did not make tape because you see it ever, all like pretty much every lucha match these days, even the really bad ones. Everything makes tape. Not not just lucha. Even like U.S. Yeah. Every indie in Japan, everything seems to make video at some some form or another. Yeah, not only make video, but be easily accessible, mostly for free or, or dirt cheap. So, yep. watching this match. Um, I was very impressed because, I mean, clearly there are tons of great high spots, but they really, I, I thought the pacing was really good. They, you know, they, it wasn't all go, go, go. They, they, like, they nicely built the things. I was very impressed by that. Yeah, they were underrated. I mean, everybody knows them, their high spots, obviously, but they were both really, I mean, everybody treated Psychosis at the time like he was one of the best wrestlers in the world. And he was actually, most people would say, I mean, I would agree with it, he was carrying Ray at that point because usually the Rudo was in control of, the singles matches in Mexico, they dictate the pace. And he led, he led Ray through a great first fall. The second fall, it dealt even better. And then the third fall, that's when they really go crazy with the high spots and the drama, with the seconds getting involved. I actually have a funny story about the seconds, if you want. The seconds in this match were Juventud Guerrero, and the White Power Ranger was in Rey Mysterio Jr.'s corner. <laughs> I was wondering who that was. Right, and uh, under the mask is actually Skyda. Wow. He was the White Power Ranger, which is funny because he would go on to be one of my five favorite wrestlers ever. But at the time, I had no idea who he was. And when I found out who he was, it, just, it was kind of funny. I flashed back to this match, and I'm like, wow, he was involved in my favorite match ever before I even knew who he was. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think Psychosis just got such a bad rap from the wrestling world. I think people kind of viewed him as, you know, oh, the guy kind of raised, maybe traveling, traveling, partner slash wrestler who always usually lost to him and he just didn't get the props he deserved. Yeah, he was an amazing wrestler. I mean, he, he was having legendary matches with Hijo del Santo even a year before mm-hmm. this. They trusted right. yeah, they trusted him more than they trusted Ray in singles matches at the time because Psychosis was much more advanced. Yeah, is he still around? He's still around, but yeah. his body's pretty broken. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised. Yeah. You know, people like to say, like, Ray became a more complete wrestler, but at this time, boy, did he have some, some hops in him, because he was, uh, they were just like, I seemingly a half dozen crazy dives in this, like, holy, like, I know Psychosis hits uh, kind of a no-hands, face-first one, Ray's hitting just, like, huge dives, oh. It's crazy. I, I, I miss that. Yeah, I, I really like, like, young Ray Mysterio. And the thing is, at the time, I mean, he was basically my size. He was soaking yeah. wet, maybe 130 pounds, maybe. Yeah, he just looks tiny here. Yeah, very small, and that's why he could do all the dynamic stuff, and he gets, because he's so small, that's why the dive looks so incredible. He gets so much air on his last dive. He does like a springboard plancha where they go deep into the aisle when they land, and the crowd pops. It's crazy. Oh, I have to mention, as you said, Ray gets the win, and at the end, I think Juventud does a great job being so devastated at this loss. Like, you would think he lost, and he wasn't just the second. He's, like, wailing. He's, like, you know, screaming at the sky because Psychosis got pinned. It was a very, yeah, the, the emotion of the match was, the crowd was so into it. At one point, Ray hits his uh, springboard hurricanrana, and the referee, who, by, by the way, the referee is Al Frazero, who is the father of the current IWG wrestler, Frazero Jr., he counts, he's a famous old UWA referee. He counts one, two, and then there's a great kick out, and then the wrestlers actually land on top of him, and his hand gets stuck underneath them, and the crowd loves it. It just adds to the drama. Yeah, this is, this is a great, I mean, this, 
And this was, you know, over 20 years ago, but it would not be out of place on, like, any independent match, any independent card today. No, it's definitely. Like, gosh, it's so far ahead of its time. Oh. It, it's I, I mean, just, I, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I didn't see, um, I, the ECW matches were the first time I saw Ray and Psychosis, and it was like, just blew me away. It's, it's so hard to think back then, like, how, I guess, exciting it was to see, like, okay, wrestling can be a lot different from what you were were seeing or, or could expect to see. Yeah, I see, I needed friends like you in my real life, because when I, <laughs> when I saw this match, back in the day where I recorded it on a, v, on a VHS tape, and I played it back so many times, the video quality dropped a bit. But I would oh, yeah. I would invite my friends over who were wrestling fans, and I would say like, "You've got to see this. This match is amazing. You've never seen guys like this." And so I was that annoying friend because they just <laughs> I don't know there was they couldn't get into it because of the language and you know I guess it was uh, I don't know I don't even know how to explain it. Just most people who I showed it to they just they couldn't get over the language barrier and the fact that it was oh look it's the Power Rangers guys in masks. But for me, it was just life-changing to see guys like this and to know that there's a whole new world of wrestling out there and reading about these guys getting into ECW and eventually they would get into WCW. And then when they got into WCW, that's when their friends, who I showed this match to, were like, whoa, where did these guys come from? And <laughs> I, mean, I showed you these guys like a year ago and you weren't even paying attention. Uh, well, I guess as long as you get to the destination, it doesn't matter which road you take. I guess, but, uh, I guess, yeah. Uh, I see your point. So this is... Uh this match is on YouTube. I recommend you, everyone, if you haven't seen this, go check it out right now. So great. And even, I think, I don't understand the lick of the commentary. I just thought it was so great. Like, you know, just the emphasis they put on words and the excitement you can tell they're having. And, um, yeah, the whole package, just super. The commentary is really good. This was before the AAA announcing kind of went to shit. But these guys, like Arturo Rivera is one of the commentators, and he's known for getting completely wasted during shows. So <laughs> by the time the semi-main and main come, he's totally gone. But in this one, he was completely lucid. He was uh, he was actually really good because he was a big he was with AAA from the beginning. So he was talking about how Ray started off as a kid, and he was talking about all the all the emotion and how there were even fans who were wearing Sikosis's mask in the crowd. And he knew that he was talking about the Rudo section really supporting him. It was uh, very good. It, everything came together perfect on this night. Yep, super. Do you uh, rewatch this match a lot, or uh, just kind of hold a special place in your heart? I think I know this move, this match, move for move. I don't even have to watch it. Like, if you quiz me right now, I could tell you anything about the spots they did. I've watched it. Like I said, I I wore out my original VHS copy. All right. How does the second fall end? Second fall ends with uh, Sikosis doing a moonsault and then wrapping Ray up in this crazy, like, submission where he rocks back and forth like two or three times before he finally gets it applied. There you go. There you go. All right. So, yeah, super match. Recommend everyone go check it out on YouTube for free. Rob, I want to thank you for uh, for being on. Any plugs you want to uh, tell the people? Uh, I don't know. I guess listen to my podcast that I do with Cubs. We do it maybe once a month. You can get it if you go to the Lucha Blog website. He lets you know when it's up there. Maybe we'll do one soon to preview the upcoming big CMLL show. And, of course, visit highspots.com. If you're going to, well, I guess this will air afterwards, but WrestleCon is coming up. WrestleCon is going to be an amazing show. They just announced a great six-man tag with a bunch of AAA Lucha Underground guys. And I guess that's about it. All right. And uh, Twitter, great Twitter follow. Is uh, you... uh 
Was it Rob Viper 13? I believe so. Yeah, I think it's Rob Viper 13. But, uh, but don't follow me if you don't like being spammed, because I do live commentary of just about every crappy CMLL show and every good CMLL show, plus AAA. Yeah, Rob watches, so you don't have to. So yeah, uh, I complain a lot, but I, I love it. That's all right. And um, any plans? Uh, will you be returning to Mexico in 2016? Yeah, I'm already putting together my first trip. I'm definitely going to go in September for the usual trip. And I'm hoping to get out there in December this year because they're doing a Lucha Rama show, which is basically 10 straight hours of Lucha Libre wrestling, which is my dream type oh. of show. Wow, that's uh, I look forward to the uh, the podcast about that. Go, um, yeah, the the Como Estas podcast about when Cubs and Rob are in Mexico are just super listening in terms of a travelogue slash wrestling podcast. Highly recommended, as well as the normal ones they do. So uh, I look forward to those. And thank you, Rob, for uh, for coming on. But not as good as your series, the WW the yearly WWF review shows with Justin Shapiro. Oh, thank you. I, I love those. That. I appreciate that. So, again, thank you, and uh, we'll be right back with our next guest. And joining me now is the host of not one, but two of the finest podcasts going, Between the Sheets and Exile on Bad Street, Mr. Chris Zellner. Chris, how you doing? All right, Joe. How about you? I'm doing fine. I hope you're not uh, <laughs> prepped for a four-hour podcast. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no, no. I know I know that uh, you won't uh, be going to the epic levels that I go to. <laughs> for I, sure. yeah. I did a uh, between the sheets episode two, three and a half hours. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were on the, the second edition. Yeah, when we were just starting to work out the kinks, and uh, yeah, and yeah, I'll have you back well, definitely in the future. Oh yeah, well, I was on before it became a juggernaut that it is now. <laughs> if you ask me now, I'd be terrified. I'm like, oh my god, like I can't. <laughs> terrified, I'd be badly exposed. But actually, uh, I squeezed that in. Yeah. All right, Chris. What is your favorite match of all time? Favorite match of all time is a match that I saw live when I oh, you were there live. I saw it was at the Omni. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, was he there live? I, okay, I got to hear about this. Uh, all right, I was there live. It was uh, July fourth, nineteen eighty seven. So it was a month before my eighth birthday. Oh, and <laughs> it, you got to remember that Jim Carter Promotions has had probably built to this match for a good year and a half to two, almost two years. And, of course, we're talking about the first War Games match. Mm-hmm. Um, the match, of course, included the Four Horsemen, which at this time was Flair, Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Lex Luger, and then J.J. Dillon, against the superpowers, American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff, the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, and Precious Paul Ellering. So you, if you take, let's say you sub Luger in for Ole, and then you sub Nikita in for Magnum, like I said, you get about a year and a half to two years worth of television that had built to this match. This match came across the way they, you know, but they built up to it as like the ultimate blow-off match. And this was the match beyond. In fact, that's what they called it. It was not War Games originally. It was the match beyond. And... And the television, of course, is on WWE Network right now to build it up, all the World Championship Wrestling episodes. So I highly suggest you go and watch it, especially from the, you know, 87 era to see, you know, how everything was playing into it. And it was just one of those things, man. I was going to say, it just, it, 
you build so long. It's something that wrestling doesn't have today. Hell, you can't even build to one week of television, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything's on the fly. And this is, you know, the culmination of so much that was going on. It was on a Grand American Bash tour, which, you know, it was in its uh, third year. And it always did good. And the Omni at the time, Omni was kind of hit and miss because they ran it once a month, sometimes maybe twice a month, but more than not once a month. And they didn't do great business every time. There'd be some months that they would do uh, less than half a house. And then there were some months that they would do full sellouts. Well, this was a full sellout. And it, <laughs> the emotion that went into this match, I have never heard a crowd before or since. But th- this crowd was for this match. Amazing, so, amazing atmosphere that went into it. So you were a young fan at this time. Was this? Have you been to many live shows before? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I okay. started going. I was five. I can't imagine this being your first show. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I, yeah, I started going. To, I started going to matches. The very first show I remember was at the Omni. And I think it was Ted DiBiase against Jack Briscoe as the main event in 84 for a national heavyweight title. And it's right before WWF bought George Championship Wrestling. And so I, I was going to shows, I mean, not all the time, but I was going to shows here and there at the Omni. You know, I went and saw Hogan when Hogan first came in. And that was a, that was maybe a top five pop all time as well. I, I, when he first came to Atlanta, my Lord, that was huge. But, um, yeah, I mean, I have been going to shows a lot. My brothers have been going for years. Um, yeah, I mean, but this was just, just, this seemed like this was like the one to be at. So was, there was a palpable buzz, but like you knew this was, this show was a big deal? Yeah, because the way they, like I said, the way they built it up on television was like this was the ultimate match. I mean, it's never, something never been seen before. It's, you know, they have all they had done two ring matches many times, mm-hmm. uh, two ring battle royals and stuff like that. They did it every year for Thanksgiving, tag team, a two two uh, ring tag team battle royal stuff like that, or you know different things, reverse rever, uh, reverting around two rings. So that had been done, and of course cage matches have been done forever. This is the first time you had two cages with tops mm-hmm. on them. Yeah. I mean, this was the this was like the ultimate thing, man. To see, you couldn't get much bi- more violent than this. You thought? No, this was. I mean, do you, I mean, I imagine you've, you've rewatched this. Do you, oh, yeah. do you watch it often? Have you? I haven't watched it. Oh, probably about a year and a half, two years. Last time I watched. It. And what's sad is it's not on the network. No, it isn't. I found that out. <laughs> because it wasn't a pay-per-view. No. It was only released on commercial tape, on the Grand American Best commercial tape, which for some reason they don't have any of those on there, which they should. Yeah, you, you would think this is something people would want to see. I had to, it's on Daily Motion. Just of course, yeah. 8-7, yeah, you can see it, but still, that's, I mean, it's ridiculous. And the commercial tape has both the war games from that tour because they did a second right. one in Miami at the Orange Bowl. Now, that um, guy, that uh, the commercial released. I think I remember it had like a cage on the cover and like a picture. Of all that. I just yeah. I seem to remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But 
I was like a diehard WWF guy. I didn't see this till years and years later, but I wore it I, out, like, man. I, I I rented this so much from my local video store; it was crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that tape. Yeah, I mean, I saw it at a time. I mean, back then, I, I didn't see it until like the advent of YouTube and Daily Motion, because there was a time where you had to, you know, know someone online who was selling a tape or could make you a copy, or it used to be a challenge. Not like it. You know, not like it is now. And then, and then, you know, if you bought commercial tapes back then, you were looking to spend it thirty to forty dollars for a tape. Oh yeah, it was only two hours. <laughs> Times have changed, that's for sure. Yes, for the better. Of course. Uh, being this being the first War Games, they already had the formula down pretty pat. Like it's a pretty easy formula, but it, it, you know, it's not like they had the baby faces win the coin toss, and they're like, well, that didn't work. So, you know. It came in pretty pretty fully formed. It was Dusty's baby. You could tell that he definitely had he he had this thought process of how to do a match like this, you know, in, in his mind. You know, it it was his creation. Dusty created a lot of great things. You know, Dusty gets a lot of crap for some of the stuff he did as a booker. Yeah, and he deserves a lot a lot of criticism. But this, you know, matches like this, the bunkhouse stampede stuff like that. This is his. His creation, his baby. And look at how many rip-off war games we've had since, you know, in different organizations that have oh, yeah. run their types of, different types of war games. It's something that, you know, I guess the WWE could, could do it they call Elimination Chamber, but I think it's silly that they haven't done it at least once. No, I mean, you know, you can, you can do, I mean, everyone has done it except the WWE. Yeah. Why not TNA made a, a history, like, every independent, you know, they'll have some kind of war games, but not... You know, WB would it would really be nice. Yeah, but I don't even know. So, like I said, not on the network, which is absurd. But uh, you can find it easily on Daily Motion. Do you think this is the best War Games? I, I know it's your favorite match. You have personal memories from being there. Do you think it's the best one they did? Um, yes, yes, I do. Uh, and a lot of people that I know have watched it, I've read, talk about it over the years. They would probably agree with that sentiment. The only one. The only one that really could come close to it was WrestleWard 92, the Dangerous mm-hmm. Alliance against Saint Squadron. But, I mean, this one was just, you know, full insanity. I mean, the, I, like I said, the crowd puts it over. And if you watch the, watch the video, I, saw, I mean, you, all you hear is the crowd is nuts, the whole match. And that first five-minute section where Dusty and Arn are in there together, oh, my God. I mean, Arn Anderson <laughs> getting murdered in the ring. That's the culmination because if you, it, I've been watching a lot of 19, early 1986 television lately, and Dusty, for the first couple of months on the television, was just bowing to cripple Arn Anderson. And people remembered that, you know, that it didn't happen, but here we go in the war games. Here they are, and Dusty's trying to cripple Arn Anderson. You know, he's trying to maim him. So it's payoff. That's true. It, I mean, yeah, this is ninety. I mean, this one has just. Uh, I mean, the, you can. T- I mean, the audio's not the best, but you can tell the crowd's just going nuts. Like you can, you know, you a hard time hearing the announcers. Yeah, exactly. You can tell Jim Ross is losing his mind. Yeah, this but, was uh, Jim Ross's first, you know, big appearance for Crockett. Wow. Because you know they had bought the UWF uh, in April, and yeah, this is the first big co-promotion tour because it was a lot of UWF guys were on this show and 
you know, Ross and Ross and Tony did the announcing, and yeah, Ross was perfect for this match. I mean, he was just completely going apeshit, <laughs> you know. So it was a perfect match for him. Yeah, any other thoughts? I mean, besides just a, a great. I mean, it was just it's just so young and it was so violent. Were you? Did your parents take you? Were they like oh, brothers? Oh, okay. Yeah, my brothers were. Uh, my oldest brother would have been twenty, almost twenty-two, and my, my middle brother would have been uh, eighteen. And uh, yeah, I mean, and we were all just going nuts. I mean, I can imagine. I, you know, we all were kind of like horseman fans, mm-hmm. but you know, I I got into the faces too. I was just a fan of everybody, uh, and my brothers kind of were too. But we like we liked the horseman better, but. It, 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 it was just everything about the match, you know, the way, the, like you said, the formula was pretty much down pat already. Um, the one, you know, and some people say, well, they didn't like that JJ and Butler were in a match instead of regular wrestlers. No, I mean, that's what the, the best part about it was, was, you know, now they finally get they get on JJ. You know, JJ had done all this stuff over the years, talking to these guys, and now they're able to get their revenge on him. And the best thing about it, and this is on the network, the television the day before, is, I think it was either the day before or day of. It's day of, actually, because that was on a Saturday. The television that went into that before that show, J.J. Dillon wrestled a singles match on television. And I can't remember if it was against Alan Martin or somebody, but he, he the horsemen were at ringside, and J.J. hit all the horsemen's finishers to beat Alan Martin. I mean, it was just absurd. That's the way they the way they got over JJ to the the locals that were actually watching before they went to the show, and, and when they got to the show, I mean yeah, JJ took the big bump and you know nearly broke his neck, yeah, um, which he's talked about before, and he was about the only one that would t- would have took that bump. So um, yeah, it was just fantastic. Everybody worked their ass off and. Uh, it's a match for the ages, I think. It's a, it's a match. It's a, you, you know, you can only have first times. Mm-hmm. And in wrestling, you know, we it's very few that we have the gimmick matches like the first version of those matches. Because some of those mm-hmm. matches, you know, like cage matches or strap matches or barbed wire matches, they were done years before, you know, we had video of stuff like that. This is the first of a, you know, match that we can say, you know, say, hey, we got the first of this genre of matches. So That's very true. I hadn't thought about that. I often wonder, because you, you've remained a fan all these years, I wonder how many people who were in the crowd that day are still fans. You know, like you look back, you see these people just going crazy, and you wonder how many of them just kind of forgot about wrestling. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> who knows? I mean, it's 15,000 people there, the army. Um, that's what, like I said, that's a strong house. And the, the rest of the card, I mean, you look at the card, the, the other matches, like the, you know, Dr. Death against Dick Murdoch for, you know, the title. Rock and Roll Express was Midnight Express. Uh, the Freebirds, which, you know, that was always a big deal. And the month, in fact, the month earlier, which I was at that show in June, they worked against the Horsemen, which was like, I think the only time that match happened of the, the, the Freebird, defended the Freebirds against the Full Horsemen. And uh, they wrestled against Manny Fernandez, I'm and Paul Jones. I mean, there was, it was a really decent card, but every, no, everybody came for that main event. And like I said, it paid off big time. Excellent. So like you said, the uh, 
television building up to it's on the network. The match itself is on daily motion. Hopefully it'll make its way to the network, but it's out there for you. And uh, Chris, I want to thank you very much for this. Uh, a few things to plug. Plug away. All right. Let's see. Exile on Bad Street. Um, Scott Hudson and Steve Prazak. I suggest everyone listen to that show. And I'm doing the Continental Championship Wrestling Series with Bo James and Carl Stern. So check that out when those shows uh, are out. Uh, Between the Sheets, of course, every Monday morning. And uh, Talking Sheet Midweek on SheetSandwich.com. So uh, it should be every Thursday or during the night Wednesday, whenever you're up. That's when it's when that drops. So that's my main things to plug right now. All right. So no shortage. If you if you <laughs> you haven't heard Chris before and you, and you uh, you like this, then uh, you plenty of opportunity to uh, to hear your opinion. and follow me on Twitter at k r i s z e l l n e r. That's right. Very good Twitter follow as well. Thank so, you. So uh, Chris, want to thank you very much for coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll have to do some more audio down the line. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on between the sheets, no doubt. All right, excellent. Thank you very much. All right. I am back with uh, a man you can find at uh, the Segunda Caída blog, as well as uh, Death Valley Driver. Are you still a Death Valley Driver? Yeah, sort of. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Phil Schneider. Oh, Phil, how you doing? Good, good. How are you doing, Joe? I am just fine. We haven't talked in forever. Yeah, I've, I've definitely done your show, but it's been many. Uh, it's been a couple of years at least. No, we did shows based on the other 80s uh, Japan. Oh, uh, hell. So it was like a decade ago then. Yeah, they're about, yeah. <laughs> Is your 10th anniversary was your first gap? No, no. No, so, um, Phil, i got an important question for you. Sure. What's your favorite wrestling match of all time? Uh, Sagre Chikata versus MS1 for the hair, the 1983 CML anniversary show. MSA Uno. Yeah. So, this one has gained some uh, popularity in recent years, I know, when there was another... Another uh, a lucha set that's being discussed. I, did, was this one voted the uh, the number one match of the eighties? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, uh, it was certainly. You can find just heaps of praise. Is that where you first came across it? No, no, I'd seen it before. Uh, you know, and I did the I did part of the I did the selection of the eighties uh, lucha set. So I watched it again then, and then you know, so I always I sort of remembered it as a as as in my, my mind the best eighties lucha match ever. And then when I saw it again, I'm like, oh, this is actually the best wrestling match ever. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and I, the other, one of the other things is for the 80s set, we had actually a good video quality copy of it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just two blurry, uh, two blurry blobs <laughs> moving around and then a little bit of blood spatter. You could really, uh, on the version that we put on the 80s set, you could really see all the blood. Yeah, and there's quite a bit of it. Why don't you get into this match. I'm sure a lot of people may not be familiar with it, but what, what makes this match so great? Well, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's a, a very simple story, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Sagre Chikata gets pounded on at the beginning of this match. So we don't start out with, like, a lot of wrestling matches. We'll start out with sort of a, you know, feeling each other out process. They do some arm drags, staring at each other. Maybe they'll throw a couple forearms. This one is is uh, Sagre Chikata gets violently mauled uh, for almost the entire first part of the match, and then you've got probably the greatest wrestling transition I've ever seen, where Chikata ducks and hits this great 
single punch. That is like the kind of uh, it's like the kind of like what a one punch knockout you might see in like a in like a great boxing uh, match or something like that, where a guy's getting beat on and they just connect with that one punch that turns everything around. Yeah, uh, kind of just getting pummeled. Pummeled. The entire first fall into the second. Bleeding. Like women are trying to like wipe the blood off his face. I don't know if they're related to him or what. But you can see them in the front. I row. think it might have been his mother. Oh, that's awesome. It might have been his or his great or his grandmother or something. Uh, and uh, Jakarta is one of my is one of the I had uh, we there, there was a pro wrestling only greatest wrestlers of all time thing that has been sort of happening over the last couple of months and I I rated Chikata very very high even though there isn't a ton of footage of him but I think he might be the best brawler in wrestling. Yeah, going by this, uh, I would agree, because he hits that, that left hand in the second fall, and like you said, it's just complete momentum. Like that one punch, everyone knows, oh, okay, yeah. he's uh, he's good to go now. Yeah. And, I mean, just the fighting and the blood in this, this really, I mean, if you, whatever preconceptions you have of, of Lucha, I mean, this largely, I mean, there are certainly dives and, and graceful parts and, and some mat wrestling, but just like the intensity and the, the fight of it all, yeah. it's, it's very memorable. Yeah, I love there's a there's a bunch of little cool things in this. There's a point where uh, Chikata tries to get a, uh, a suplex and he can't because his comments are covered in blood. He mm-hmm. has glass hands, so he just grabs him by the shorts and sort of throws him over with the shorts. That's really cool. It's like a lot of like little nifty moments. Yeah, I like. I know MS1 does a bunch of dives off the top, and this looks like the hardest ring in history because. Yeah. It just looks so Those brutal. And, uh, rings, and plus, just you're just yeah, just a filthy, disgusting mat too. Yeah, it's just like that in the blood. It's yeah, like, it really is. It really is. <laughs> it really, really looks like it really looks like you know, a like staff inspection city. <laughs> you know, you probably all kinds of ringworm and and MRS and staff. I mean, just the just just <laughs> gross. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, that's one of the cool things about me. That's wrestling, isn't? For the most part, seedy anymore. No, it's very, it's very clean. Very well lit. It's very clean. Yeah. Everybody's professional. Like, you know, <laughs> but this back in the back then, and this is like what what I, what I like about watching eighties wrestling so much is it was a little uh, disreputable. It was, yeah. You wouldn't imagine someone <laughs> had to go to the hospital and not, you know, because of <laughs> blood loss or anything. Something they may have contracted during the. Uh, during the event, yeah, it's just you know, it's just also it's not for, not for uh, you know wrestling now. It's it's like you know, it's it's for it's kind of for like nerds, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it is. I mean, like in the same way, like you know, comic books and stuff like that is that sort of the culture. I mean, I resemble some of that myself. I'm not gonna, you know, say I'm not completely tired with the brush, but you know, back then, uh, the, the, this wasn't for like. This is for, like, you know, old, mean old ladies and, like, you know, start like bag cab drivers and, you know, <laughs> that's strong, that's reprobates. And that is uh, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and, you know, and, and so I think that's sort of, so one of the things I think wrestling's lost a little bit is that sort of the grime. I mean, this looks like taxi driver. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. It's true. This is a, uh, a very grimy match. Yeah. Uh, I guess I won't spoil who wins because I imagine a lot of people haven't 
haven't seen this, but a very memorable post-match. With the head shaving, this wasn't a puesta match for the hair. Just, um, yeah, just like, I actually just, I watched this for the first time tonight. I just never had the opportunity to oh, view it. Oh, it really pulled oh, me in. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is what I'm like, oh, I better check this out. And I kind of did a little research on it and whatnot. And like you said, um, Chicana is one of your, your favorites. Does MS1 have uh, a lot of highlights like this? Or was this just like kind of your MS1. Okay. I mean, it's a footage issue, too. A lot of There's yeah. not a ton of stuff. Which, I mean, it's lucky that we have this. Uh, um, yeah. But there's, the, you know, less stuff from that, this period available. And MS1's got a bunch of really good trios matches. This is his sort of singles match. They actually had a rematch the next year in 1984, which is also very good, although not at this level. But those are the two that kind of that kind of do it. I have to say the commentary on this, they, they sound like they're calling a preseason football game. Like they're just <laughs> not that into it. That's true. It's a little weird. <laughs> like you should be screaming and yelling, like I expect. But uh, nope, just uh, it's like they you know, had three and out or something. Yeah. <laughs> when he, when that the, is that is funny. Fun. I mean, I, the crowd is definitely very into it. Yes. Oh yes. But uh, uh, very odd. So this is on uh, on YouTube. There is a uh, decent version to search for. Even that and the uh, eighty three and the eighty four matches are up there. So yep. no excuses. Go uh, go check this out. Both watch and then uh, you know watch. You can, I think if you like this, there's also a really 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 great Sangre Chicana Paraguayo match. It's also from eighty I think six, which is also on YouTube. Which is you know if this is you know if this is an uh, you know, a, a five-star match. This is that that one's the four and three quarters version of the same kind of thing. So, if you wanted to, if you got excited to check out some grimy Sangre Chicana uh, bloody brawls, that's another one that's truly awesome. Cool. Uh, All right. On YouTube, you can find a lot of '80s lucha on YouTube. Lucha is something that's, I think, there's a lot more at this point lucha on YouTube than there is Japanese wrestling because nobody's. Nobody, nobody in Mexico is filing, you know. <laughs> no, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. They're not filing anything no. to anyone. So all that stuff's available, and somebody uploads it, it'll stay forever. That is a, that is a benefit to be saying. This so. is a match that I can't imagine. I mean, even people who, you know, when this thing we're talking about, on, on, you know, on the 80s sets, there are people who don't like Lucha who are still talking about how great this was. I think this is something that's relatively universal. Like if you like wrestling, you're going to like this. Even if you like, like think, oh, I don't like Lucha, I don't get Lucha, I don't have Lucha eyes or all that horse shit. Uh, this, this is, this is, uh, this is, this is, has, you know, this is DiBiase, Duggan, this is Slaughter, Sheik, this is Magnum TA, Tully. More than, closer to those kind of things than anyone else. Yeah, I was thinking of kind of a Magnum Tully, just with the the hate and the brutality coming yeah. out, and the grim, the grim, and the, the and, and the blood and the sickness. Yes, it's, all I mean, of sells blood loss as good as anybody I think I've ever seen anybody sell it. Mean, he is just stumbling around the ring, spraying blood out of his forehead. He really does look like he's about to die. <laughs> Maybe he was. We can't say. Maybe just some good selling. I love how they just ram each other into the. The kind of like the edge of the apron. Yeah. It just looks especially nasty. Yeah. A lot of little tidbits like that, you said, and the uh, having to grab the trunks for the suplex and all that. There's a lot of great little details. Yeah. Along and with the great thing is he smashes his head on the side of the, You know that that was not, that was like, there was splinters. 
Oh, yeah. And, you know, this was not a put-together situation. <laughs> Arena Mexico looks great, like, um, when you watch it. But I've been to Arena Mexico. The place kind of a divey dump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it's not like a Madison Square Garden. They don't have nice bathrooms. That place, that place is kind of, you know, it's like, I mean, it's been, you know, one of the things that makes it so cool. But I know it kind of looks like... There's like, you know, the sportatorium when you were a kid, always you always thought of it as this amazing place, but it turns out the sportatorium was some like little shit bag arena in, in, in the bad part of Dallas. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same kind of thing. You think of Marino Mexico as this like you know, classic place, but it's you know it's got the, the pain is peeling. <laughs> I can imagine at that point they weren't uh, you know probably working too hard on the uh, the physical upkeep there. No. All right, well, uh, great match selection. So glad I got to watch it. Hope uh, everyone listening does, too. Yeah. And uh, where can we find uh, or hear more from you? Uh, uh, well, you know, sagunakaeda.blogspot.com is where me and Eric and Matt all write. We've got, we put something up basically every day. We put something up every day for a couple of years now. So there's a, uh, a new uh, bit of wrestling review. We've got complete inaccurates where we take a single wrestler and try to really do deep dives into everything they've ever done. Mm-hmm. We're doing an ongoing match of the year lists for, you know, 2014-15-16. Matt, he was coming in as a Lucha novice and did about a two-year deep dive into Lucha Libre. So he's, you know, coming from a guy who hadn't watched any of it. Came in and then, you know, basically watched you know, reviewed 300-something matches and really sort of got into the nuances of that. I think that's really interesting if people hadn't, hadn't been sort of, were wanting to be introduced to that. It was, it was a really good introductory thing from, like, a good writer who kind of looked at this as a newbie. Uh, that's always really cool. And, yeah, you know, and then uh, uh, I've got a podcast, which I, uh, which I had a bit of a hiatus from, but I'm hopefully recording a new hiatus, I that word wrong. Uh, I'm hopefully recording a new episode of it this week, uh, Digging in the Crates, where I do something very similar to this, which is basically try to find matches which I think are under, sort of un, un this is not really unknown, but matches that are kind of unknown or not as well uh, thought of and sort of talk about why I think they're cool, usually with a guest. So um, uh, I've got one, I'm taping one hopefully this week. Uh, with uh, Childs Walker, which was a sports writer for the Baltimore Sun uh, and a wrestling buddy of mine. So that should be really good. Very cool. And did you just have another uh, podcast appearance, speaking of the greatest wrestler? Oh, yeah. I mean, it did, we did a, we had a DV, uh, Death Valley Driver Reunion uh, podcast with me and Dean Rasmussen and uh, Phil Reppa. Just like a long one going over our uh, ballots. I think I was probably I, the first time that the three of us had talked together in, I don't know, probably 10 years. So Very cool. I, I, you know, every once in a while, I talked to Dean. Every once in a while, I talked to Phil. But I talked to both of them together there in a long time. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. We can listen to Dean uh, uh, defend his picks by saying, It's Killer Khan! <laughs> <laughs> what are you about? That's not a great defense. It's so. Killer Khan! All right, Dean. <laughs> Where did Killer Khan end up? I have to. Was he the 100 sentimental pick, or was he like in the 30s? He, he, he was uh, on Dean's list. He was like yeah. 11 or something like that. Oh, God. <laughs> he, was, okay. he was insanely high. It was great. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking some time out, appearing. Uh, great stuff, right. and uh, I'll catch up with you again. Yeah, let's not make it another. Uh, let's not make it eight years between shows. 
That, that sounds like good. I, idea. I got the new mic. My wife got me a podcast mic for Christmas. So, you know, I'm all in. All right, very good. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for your time. Thanks, Joe. Joining me now, the Dean of Online Wrestling Fans, <laughs> and the mastermind leader of the Death Valley Driver. It's Dean, is it Rasmussen? Yes, it's Rasmussen. Okay, yeah, I did it. All right, Dean Rasmussen. Dean, how you doing? Oh, everything's great. Good. It's been a long, long time since you and I have talked. I know. It's been like seven years, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what's new? Oh, nothing much. Uh, my 11-year-old son is into the WWE, which is... Good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you uh, you sitting through SmackDown with him? And, uh, oh, we, we watched all of the uh, 15 hours of WrestleMania uh, oh, wow. Sunday. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah, my son uh, showed up for uh, the ladder match and then uh, I guess lost interest because he vanished <laughs> after that. <laughs> well, my, my son was like looking at Pokemon uh, figurines while it was on. So I'm like, oh. am I watching this by myself? Why is this going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of comes to that. But yeah. So, yeah. But right. I mean, it, it's adorable. My gosh, it's, it, it is. It's yeah. very true. All right, Dean, what is your favorite wrestling match of all time? Well, I thought about it. And the only one I can, that stays with me is uh, Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA from uh, 1985 Starcade, the I Quit match. Uh, just because. So. Uh, What's your what's your history with this? Did you see it live? Did you see it uh, years ago? Uh, I, I didn't I didn't see it until uh, I guess ninety five or nine you know ten years afterwards. But it's so hardcore, you know. It's like they don't do they don't do cage matches like that anymore. Where it is the only reason the cage is there is to keep everybody in and to make sure that everything happens <laughs> in the ring. Yeah, I I rewatched this today and I was getting squeamish at points because I mean yeah. this is well, well, that's the thing. It's like uh, it's 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 almost well, you know, there's there's super face heel setup, but the match itself is just you know, Tully Blanchard fighting for his life against the guy bigger than he is. You know, it's it's just so much so much backstory in it, and it's. And I, you know, I just wanted to, you know, straight out of just watching. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know this existed. And it was like, when I watched it, I was like, man, this is the greatest match ever. <laughs> so how did you come across it? Was it just during tape trading at that time? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I can't really remember. But, yeah, I was always like, man, that is really great. Because, I mean, uh, it was right after I rediscovered Magnum TA through, like, Ted DiBiase matches through Mid-South. You know, where it's like, okay, yeah. so he was really great. I didn't realize how great he was. And Tully Blanchard, I knew, you know, you know, having watched NWA through the 80s, you know, so I was like, well, Tully Blanchard's, you know, great. But I was, yeah. but after watching his Texas stuff, you know, uh, we, you know uh, where he was, well, it, it's like everybody was tougher when they were in the territories. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and they became like, uh, you know, like like Kurt Henning was so much tougher in AWA than he was in the WWF. Tully Blanchard was tougher when he wrestled in San Antonio than he was when he wrestled, you know, as one of the four horsemen. Yeah, I don't, when he's like fighting the Bushwhackers, I didn't think yeah. he was all that tough. In the well, well, you know, well, in other words, they they they, went, they got more gimmicky as opposed to just sure, you know, guy who guy who would just beat your ass, you know. But yeah, but that, that was the thing about that match was. Uh, just how, you know, just horrendously violent it was. 
I mean, like, both guys, it's not like, you know, like, do you give up? They're like, no. They're, like, screaming in agony. Yeah. And it's like... Well, especially after, you like, the only, the only, like, the only concession to uh, anything getting into the ring or getting out of the ring is when Baby Doll throws the the part of the chair in. He starts, and then yeah. gets and starts carving into his forehead. <laughs> you know, it's just like, like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's just like... And, Yeah, it was just, and this wasn't in high def, you know, it was kind of like grimy footage and... Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that adds to it, too. I mean, there's, like, on the Internet, there's nothing. There's no, like, there's no version of it on the Internet that's not, you know, squeezed down to nothing or, you know, made so that uh, it wouldn't be pulled off YouTube. <laughs> yeah, but I quickly found on Daily Motion had, like, the track. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> that's the stuff right there. Yeah, it's just so funny, like, I'm, this is a common theme, but you used to have to work to kind of find these matches, and it was, oh, yeah. you know, two clicks away. You had to, you know, find someone who had it on tape and trade right. or buy, something like that. We had to work in our day. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, you know. But, yeah, I mean, well, plus, I don't know, it's, it, it's a match that I probably would have skipped over if I didn't, like, just start watching it, you know, because, I don't know, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's you know, the biggest, uh, what's the, 85, that was Harley Race, Ric Flair was the main event? No, I think it was a Dusty and, um, and Flair. Oh, it could have been. That was, I believe that was 85. Yeah, okay. So, you know, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I chanced upon that match, because, yeah, it was like, oh, man, that might have been, that might have been, like, the last time mainstream wrestling was that violent, you know? Yeah, I can't, yeah, I couldn't have gone... I mean, I mean yeah. the WWF certainly wasn't going to go in that kind of direction. Yeah, and, yeah. I, I think that was the first hardcore match, you know, before there was, was hardcore, you know. But yeah, but, but it was on, you know, the <laughs> biggest pay-per-view up to that point, you know. Absolutely. But, and I, I love the end, like like you said, Magnum's carving him up, totally quits, and then, you know, Magnum picks up a piece of the, the chair. <laughs> you, you know, he looks at Tully, kind of picks him up, and he's like, and he just drops him, drops the stick, and just storms to the back. It's, it was the most bad. Like you look at Magnum, he's got you know his his mullet, his yeah. chest. And you're like, I don't know what to think about this guy, but you see that, you're like, oh, okay, this is why women and men like yeah. this guy. Yeah, I, I wrote a review of it for uh, like a Death Valley Driver 100, like 100 matches you need to see. And I was like, oh, you got to see this match. And that's what that's what I described him as. Like, a, he's like my older brother, who's you know. <laughs> I'm not saying he's dumb, but he's not like the smartest guy in the world. But he's like really good looking, and you know, <laughs> you know, you know, men want to be like him, women want to be with him. You know, Kelly <laughs> Blanchard is like the rich kid who, you know, the rich kid who gets everything handed to him, and then suddenly they're thrown into a ring together. You know, yeah, I remember that. That was a great write up of this match. They like the two were archetypes, and oh yeah. Well, that, that's four horse and horse and we're just great architects. Like you know, yeah. Arn Anderson was your was the uh, your supervisor, <laughs> or you know, the, the foreman on the uh, the foreman. It was Arn Anderson. You know, he's like, I don't care what you do. We got stuff to do. We're going to do it. <laughs> and Ric Flair was I don't know. Ric Flair was just Ric Flair. Tony Blanchard was yeah. a lesser Ric Flair. You know. True. What about uh, what about Oli? <laughs> well, Oli would be the guy who owns the company that uh, 
that uh, Arn would be the foreman for. <laughs> Just like a, like an even more evil version of Arn. Like I say, maybe your mean uncle who shows up at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right <laughs> so do you uh, do you revisit this match uh, a lot or? What? When you... Yeah, every now and then. I mean, you know, whatever get the whatever get the chance, you know. But uh, yeah, you know, it's especially you know. Because I mean, the, the, the only other, the only other, I think the only other time they ever wrestled was in Puerto Rico, which, <laughs> which would be just as great if you know he was a cage and had as much blood. But, oh God! Yeah. yeah, I can't even fathom such a thing. <laughs> I think Tully would have made it out in one piece. Yeah. To be honest. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That was the uh, that would be the downside of that. The Puerto Rican crowd throwing uh, throwing batteries at him. <laughs> So, I mean, what do you think would have happened uh, had Magnum T.A. not had his accident? Do you think wrestling history is any different? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the story was Lex Luger was, you know, was pushed because Magnum T.A. was in the accident. In other words, mm-hmm. instead of Lex Luger, we would have had Magnum T.A. in that spot, and he would have actually been the world champion and, you know, would have, I mean, you know, I, mean, I, I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a, a better version of Kerry Von Erich, you know. <laughs> That's a shame. All right. Well, this match is I, like I said. I found it on Daily Motion. I believe it's on the uh, the WWE Network. If you're so inclined. Oh, I didn't even think about looking there. My my, my son. Uh, yeah, it's my, probably my, my, my son. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's got to be there. It's a stroke eighty five. Yeah, I'll have to watch yeah. it there. Cause, yeah. I'm sure your son. Though, I, don't, I don't know if he's quite ready for. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. His favorite wrestler is L.A. Park, so he's seen some stuff. Oh wow! Oh god! Yeah. That's that's. Yeah, he's, he's seen some. Yeah, his, his, yeah, his, uh, his, that was my favorite thing. Was the first wrestler he ever got into was Ellie Park when we watched uh, him versus uh, El Messias in a triple right, right, right. Dancing skeleton? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, plus you know he's a fat guy and beats people up. What does he want? All right, Dean. I want to uh, I want to thank you for coming hey. on talking to been far too long. Oh. Well, uh, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at DeathValleyDriver.com. I'm usually there posting uh, matches every day <laughs> that I find on the Internet and go, hey, that was pretty good. Or yeah. I haven't watched this yet, but it looks like it'll be pretty good. So, yeah. Are the, uh, are the archives of the uh, Death Valley Driver around? Uh, some of it. We lost okay. some of it in the big, the big crash of, what, four years yeah. ago. But uh, there's a uh, yeah. I mean, there's 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 things. We, we, well, plus we just we just did an update, which uh, was amazing. And the fact that I figured we would totally ruin the board again, but we actually pulled it <laughs> off. Yeah, all right. So, but yeah, was, you can uh, it, the archives are sort of there. <laughs> yeah, great, great stuff. Very, very important to my my evolving fandom. I have oh. to say, although. Well, thank you. <laughs> yep, some of the and. and if 100's out there, and I may have a saved word copy of it somewhere because I loved it so much, uh, go read that because that's, that's a great primer for stuff you need to see. Oh, yeah. Well, well, we're also doing the 1,001 matches you need to see, which uh, oh, wow. which Ripa's doing. <laughs> but I don't think he wants to be near it because it would just be like, you know, well, here's 1,000 uh, Hokobayashi matches. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you could do worse. Oh, yeah. But, uh, All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Hey. and uh 
Well, hopefully you'll have another 10 years, and we'll do it again. Oh, here's hoping. <laughs> All right, Jeff. All right. All right. Thanks, Steve. All right, I'll talk to you. And my last guest uh, is a man who has exploded on the scene, much like Randy Savage showing up in the WWF, where you ask yourself, where's this guy been? But he has been around, the co-host of one of the finest podcasts around, the 605 Super Podcast, as well as the new co-host of the Jim Cornette Experience, Mr. Brian Last. Brian, how you hey. doing? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. No problem. That was dawns on me, like, <laughs> you know, we missed Randy Savage's athletic prime <laughs> before he came <laughs> on the national scene. That always blows my mind. Yeah, you know, um... Well, obviously we have uh, some ICW stuff, and there's a uh, most of the Memphis stuff is around there. But you hear these stories about him in the late '70s working like one-hour matches against Bobby Eaton, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> I would do anything to see that stuff. Yeah, it's like if LeBron James played streetball until he was 25, and then he decided to go to the NBA. Well, you know, a lot of the uh, you know the NBA players in you know back in the day would play in Harlem. They played these pickup games in Harlem, so you can go to Harlem and you'd be able to see. You know, Wilt Chamberlain you know, in a game. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing. All right. So, Brian, I have an important question for Uh-oh. you. What's your favorite match of all time? Uh, you know, I tried to think about this, and, and it's weird that I've never actually sat and made a concerted effort to, to think about this and have an actual answer. So I sat here, and I, and I wrote down a list of things uh, that I was thinking of. And uh, obviously, um, top of the list has to be El Pibe Diaz versus Parata Morgan. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure I'm sure that may not make uh, the final cut. But um, if you'll indulge me for a second, I want to uh, give a few thoughts before I, I say the one that I picked. Uh, this is like an ever-changing list uh, because there's a few on here that were absolutely my favorite matches, and they aren't anymore. I still love them, but I, I don't have the same feeling for them as I once did. Uh, in terms of live matches... Uh, three matches off the top of my head I was able to think of were the ladder match between Sean and Razor in 94, Heavenly Bodies versus the Thugs in 95, and I saw an Austin Aries versus Tyler Black match where Tyler Black won the Ring of Honor title. That was one of the best things I've ever seen live. And um, in terms of things that I wasn't there live that I've been able to see, you know, um, on my short list was DiBiase versus Flair from Mid-South in November of 85, which is maybe the finest one-hour wrestling show of all time. Uh, Bret against Austin at WrestleMania, Piper against Adonis. I know it's not five stars or anything, but it's one of those matches I loved since I was a kid, and I could watch it over and over and over again and never get bored with it. Same thing about Piper versus Brett. I know a lot of people wouldn't say that's five stars, but to me that's perfection. It's professional wrestling perfection. And uh, Royal Rumble 92, which if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I probably would have picked that because I love Flair, and there are all these little storylines of Flair, you know, Meeting up with his old opponents. Kerry Von Erich runs in and goes right after Flair. Greg Valentine runs in and goes right after Flair. Piper, of course, goes right after Flair. And Heenan has never been better than he was that night on commentary. But the match I would pick as my all-time favorite match would probably be Ric Flair versus Terry Funk from New York Knockout, the Clash of the Champions, in, uh, I think, November of 1989. All right, so uh, for a little context, I imagine you watched this on... Uh on TBS? Yeah, I watched it live, and I remember, you know, I was I was nine years old, so it was a struggle to stay up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's weird when I think about that. I used to fall asleep during the second hour of primetime wrestling every week. Um, but <laughs> well, some of those matches, I don't <laughs> Yeah, I know. If they had some, like, action going on, it would probably be a lot easier. But uh, I, I stayed up for this, and it was a big deal because it was that feud that really got me hooked on the NWA that summer. And... I stayed up, and it was a, and it was in New York. It was billed as New York Knockout, and I didn't realize as a nine year old just how big the state of New York was. And I remember, you know, thinking like, oh, I should, I wish I can go there. 
not realizing until I asked my dad where Troy, New York was, and it's, you know, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so, yeah. so I couldn't go there. It was nowhere near Manhattan or the city or Long Island. They tried to, I think they tried to make it seem like it was, but it really wasn't. Oh, they absolutely tried, <laughs> tried to make it seem like it was, uh, that it was... They were at the garden or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was in Troy. <laughs> but it's, um, it's just a perfect match from the standpoint of the wrestling itself is great, and it tells a story, and it culminates this amazing feud. But also there's all these other little intangibles that elevate it in my eyes. It is... I think it's safe to say the last great Gordon Soley call. Because although usually it was Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on the big events at that time, and they had Gordon come and do this match with Jim Ross, which added a, a lot, you know, and Gordon wasn't what he was earlier in his career, but he added so much to that, so much, you know, for, from storytelling, and he was great. It was the last great Gordon Soley match, and it's also probably the last great Tommy Young match. Maybe the greatest referee of all time. He was injured right after this and, and gone uh, in that Tommy Rich match. At, um, at, I think Tommy Rich against Mike Rotunda at center stage. So this is the last great Tommy Rich, uh, Tommy Young match, excuse me. And um, th- that says something. And, you know, you hear Flair all the time put down his offense. That He's like, all I had was a chop. Well, this is one of those few times where you get to see Babyface Flair with his offense, just chopping the hell out of Terry Funk throughout the match. And uh, it's just, it, there's so much about that match, the post-match is one of the greatest post-matches of all time. Think about it. Flair finally defeats his opponent who almost crippled him, almost put him out of wrestling, Terry Funk, and shakes his hand. Terry Funk says, I'm a man. I said I would shake your hand, and I will, and Flair shakes it. Gary Hart, this, this heel manager, so disgusted <laughs> by the idea there would be any sort of reconciliation that he immediately turns and attacks Terry Funk. Flair attacks Gary Hart. Muda and the Dragon Master run in. And then, uh, you know, they're beating up Flair. Sting runs in, and, you know, you forget just how over Sting was. Sting was even over with a lot of the, the smart fans as they were at that time. And they pop big for that Stinger splash when he hits the Dragon Master with it. And then, maybe the coolest part about it, Luger runs in. Luger had not been in any way involved with this program at all. And Luger runs in, and he hits Flair with a chair, kind of joining forces for the night, at least, with Gary Hart and JTEX. And then he goes up to the stage and destroys the trophy <laughs> that was given yep. to, uh, uh, actually, I'm forgetting, was it given to Flair for Wrestler of the Decade or Sting for Wrestler of the Year? I'm not sure. I think Flair. Yeah, Flair sounds right. But it was great. And, you know, this is also one of those last great moments of heel Luger, because as we talked about uh, recently on my show, they turn him babyface when Sting gets injured in February. And he was really like, hitting his peak that year in 89. He was great throughout the year, but when he turned heel, he turned it on. He hit peaks that he had never hit before, and his matches were great against Pillman and Steamboat and Tommy Rich even. Think about that. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, and he was just an amazing, perfect heel at that time, and then they turned him. So, Yeah, so now uh, you stated your Ric Flair fandom. I imagine it was a, similar for Terry Funk. Were you rooting one way or another? During this match? I was rooting for Flair because ter- I have five favorites, I would say, of all time. It would probably be Flair, Funk, Piper, Bret Hart, and the Midnight Express. But at that time, you know, as a kid, I hated Terry Funk. You know, I wanted Terry Funk to, to lose. So I was definitely rooting for Flair. I was a huge Ric Flair fan. And, um, you know, after the fact, I became just a massive Terry Funk fan. Probably bigger than I am a Ric Flair fan. Wow. Now, some people... 
have a qualm with the match about kind of Gary Hart's presence. They don't, um, you know, he can be a little decisive. He couldn't really bump. Yeah, he didn't. Did he, uh, forget about bump. He wouldn't sell. Ric Flair's yeah. elbowing him <laughs> on the head, and he's just not selling. Ric Flair throws him down at one point, and he just pops right back up. <laughs> I understand you can't bump because you, you're in a plane that crashed, but sell, goddammit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you notice this. Does it, uh, does it bother you, or, or since he's not one of the the principles in the match that you just kind of everything else is so great in the match that you just kind of wipe that off. Well, I remember as a kid when I first saw it being like, what, you know, and it wasn't the only time I saw Gary Hart, but I was like, why is I, the guys in the WWF take, you know, Jimmy Hart gets hit, Bobby Heenan gets hit, you know, even Fuji, you know, get hit and, you know, get hurt. Gary Hart just, (laughs) it was like, uh, he was like Superman. (laughs) Nothing could be done to stop this man. It's like the reverse of uh, Samson when he lost his hair to gain the power of a thousand men, <laughs> and you couldn't hurt him. But yeah, that that's always bothered me, and you know I, I've grown to appreciate Gary Hart. But for a long time, uh, when I was younger, I really didn't like him just because th- that was like one of the main reasons. It was like he just stands there, and when he actually gets involved in the action, he, he's I mean it's Ric Flair, the heavyweight champion of the world. He won't sell for the champion. <laughs> that is a problem. Uh, I'm just, I'm still amazed. Like we got, you know, <laughs> a clean finish in an I quit match. You know, did you have any preconceptions like, oh, something screwy is going to happen, or did you really think, oh, they're going to, you know, someone's going to quit here? I believed it because I was young, and when you're young, mm-hmm. before they they show you the op- the opposite, you believe in stipulations, and. You know, you come to find out that Terry Funk doesn't mind putting people over. I mean, he put, he put over Hogan on national TV when a lot of guys were still apprehensive about doing that. Uh, I didn't think anything crazy would happen. I certainly didn't think that it would lead to the retirement of Terry Funk. I remember when he stopped wrestling, and like two months later, he's in a tuxedo interviewing the heels and the baby faces. That seemed a little weird to me at the time. I, I didn't think he would stop and... Um, and I believed in the stipula- I believed in stipulations at that time because wrestling kind of tried to live up to the stipulations. Yeah, even as a kid, you realized Terry Funk was going to retire many times. <laughs> I was at his retirement match in 1997. <laughs> <laughs> <Amarillo>. <laughs> well, there you go. Do you revisit this match a lot? Uh, I, I do. I wouldn't say a lot, but it's one of those matches. Like if I want to show someone a great match, I'll show them that one. I have. You know, amongst the commercial wrestling DVDs I have, I have all those flair ones, and obviously that's on one of them. And yep. uh, I think it's on the Clash of Champions set. And luckily now there's the network, so you can see the whole thing, because a lot of those, when it's on the uh, flair DVD, I don't think they have the post-match. And the post-match, to me, is such a big part of the story. Mm. And um, I, I uh, it's one of those matches I never get sick of. Like, like with the Piper versus Bret Hart that I mentioned earlier, I can watch that now and, and enjoy it more than I ever did. I, I still enjoy that a lot. And Flair Funk is the same thing. It's just perfectly enjoyable at all times. Yeah, you know, <laughs> recurring theme of these interviews is that, you know, you didn't always have a network you could turn on. You had to, you know, really work. If you, I got on the Internet in 95, I kind of found out about this match. It's like, well, better find someone who has a copy, and you got to hunt them down and, you know, hope, it's, hope the condition's good and all that. You really had to work back in the, back in the day. As I'm sure you, you, you know this as well as anyone. Yeah, I didn't tape it when it was on TV. I watched it live, and it took me a long time before I actually got a tape of it. And that was a big deal when I was able to get a copy and watch it again for the second time. So I saw it in 1989, and then I probably didn't see it again until, geez, I don't know, maybe 92? Mm. 
Was it on one of the Up All Night? Uh... Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely on an All Nighter, WCW All. All nighter, yes. It was definitely on one of those. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one, and I don't recall if it was. I don't think it was. Right before they brought Flair back, Bill Watts had old Flair matches on TBS. You'd see Flair versus Steamboat all of a sudden in the middle of WCW. I don't think that match was one of those. It could have been, but I don't think it was. All right. Well, well, thank you for coming on, Brian. Why don't you uh, plug your audio escapades for the people who may not be aware? Escapades may be uh, (laughs) quite the accurate word word this week. Uh, You can hear me every week on 605, the Super Podcast. We talk classic wrestling as well as fringe cult wrestling favorites. We interview lots of different people from big stars to people you may not know but you will find interesting. They have interesting stories. Every week, every Thursday, we uh, put out the show, me and David Vixenspan. It is at 605pod.com. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. I'm waiting for someone to put it on XWT so the uh, the, so the new era of tape traders can uh, can appreciate. Oh, there you go. Uh, you know, and uh, also you can hear me every week. Uh, I think on the <laughs> on the Jim Cornette experience at uh, MLWRadio.com. Yes, uh, quite a uh, as we record this, quite a week for you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> making a couple headlines at the expense of one landstorm. Well, you know, when someone hits you, you got to hit them back. You. <laughs> You, you know, if he took a fly swatter to you, I think you ran him over with a tank. So, well, you know, you hit him back a little harder. There you go. That's the one. Yeah, uh, six oh five just kind of came out of nowhere. Just uh, one of my favorite shows every week. I get angry at the things I have to listen to first before I can get to. Oh, that. thank you, man. Just um, yeah, kind of uh, wrestling esoterica things you may not expect to be discussed, but you'll find yourself uh, just completely wrapped up in them. Shows fly by there. They've been lengthy, but they fly by. And uh, also a great fit with Jim Cornette on the uh, Jim Cornette experience. Finally, someone who, as a co-host, who speaks his language, gets his references and whatnot. So I thank you for that. No, thank you. I have a lot of fun doing them, and I'm glad that uh, people seem to be enjoying my work. All right. Anything else? Uh, Santo Gold, Santo Gold. I, I, I don't think there's anything else. That says it all. Thank you very much, Brian. You're welcome. And that's going to do it for our celebration week. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did putting it together. A few things to take away from the last couple of shows. One, I hope everyone appreciates how easy it is to access footage these days and not have to pay 15 bucks for a crappy fourth-generation VHS. Second, pro wrestling is awesome, and don't ever let them tell you any different. Hearing these stories like Chris Delner being live at the first war games or Rob Viper discovering Lucha because his dad left the TV on or Mike Sempervivi watching Clash of the Champions while everyone else was on a different floor watching Mania 4 really brought back memories of my own fandom throughout the years and it made me want to watch wrestling even more. Lastly, and this is corny, but forgive me, when you see wrestling fans feuding online and engaging in petty squabbles, it makes you really want to just say, chill out. Like, we all have something really awesome in common. Let's <laughs> do our best not to spoil that. Anyway, thanks to my family for putting up with endless recording sessions. and Big thanks go out to the Cubs fan for putting up with all this and making sure we got the shows out every day and actually agreeing to do this ten years ago. Thanks to everyone who has ever taken the time to appear on the show, otherwise it would just be me babbling. And lastly, thanks to you, the listener. There are so, so, so many podcasts out there. Thank you so much for choosing this one, whether it was ten years ago or you just started this week. Especially if you say nice things or spread the word or anything. Believe me, I'm not stopping anytime soon. If you want to show some gratitude, you can always contribute to the March of Dimes, or even better for this case, go to Joe Doring's uh, GoFundMe page. He could uh, really use some help. And uh, maybe buy me some Chinese food. I'm just kidding. I could go for Chinese, though. Anyway, I'm done. Bye. (laughs) See you next time.